The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, and welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Becca Laurie, your house autistic, and maybe your favorite hobbit. Ooh, I'm going to stop there. I hope I'm your favorite hobbit. And I'm joined here by Dr. Kate Cody. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist who practices in New York City. I work with kids through adults on the spectrum, offering therapy services and diagnostic evaluations. And I also supervise and train graduate students um, so that we have, and postdocs, so that we have more clinicians out there who are trained in effectively supporting uh, this community. I am excited to kind of be getting back into the regular swing of, of the podcast with you after my maternity leave. So oh, it's nice it's nice to be back again. <laughs> it's nice to have you back. And I was going to ask you, how, how has it been that little transition blip that's going on for you? Back Good. To yeah. yeah. The I mean, by the time this airs, this won't be the case. But, uh, you know, I it, right now I'm in the midst of my first week back in the office. Um, so not, you know, shifting out of mommy mode and back into professional mode. Um, which is funny cause you know, professional mode is this is myself that I've known for far longer. So it's right. much easier for me. <laughs> I would imagine I was going to say to you, did you miss professional you? Did you miss that component of your life or is it harder to go back and do it now? Do you feel like, you're no, missing- you know, I think for me, I'm really fortunate um, because this is work that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually really missed it. And so it was and I felt almost like a sense of guilt of like, oh, I have this wait list for evaluations or these things that I wasn't able to complete before I went out on leave because I went out a little early. Mm-hmm. Like there were just these things that I was like, oh, I am like like pangs of guilt about getting started. So it's been I'm happy to be back and. Now it's more about, okay, I have to have better boundaries with my time Mm. Um, um, because my time at home is no longer time that I can spend working. Right. Um, So that is, I think, my new new learning curve. (laughs) Cool. That's amazing. Um, I'm myself in a little weirdo transition. I mean, I've been talking about moving and all of that fun stuff, but I also lost my job. So I have been kind of looking for my direction and kind of retrying to find myself for the last couple of weeks while in the process of moving and mm-hmm. taking on all of these new responsibilities. So it's been really interesting for me in a way, because I've had to do that same kind of boundary thing where I've been like, okay, well, this is the stuff I have to take care of. And I have to reshift my life and, and the time that I'm spending looking for a job is taking over some of my other time. And mm-hmm. so I hear you all about <laughs> time to time and, and not having enough, which is always yep. what it feels like. Well, and um, I think we're going to spend some time talking about transitions a little bit later. Yes, I think um, so. Which brings me to um, introducing our guest today. Our guest is Haley Moss. Haley is an artist, author, and autism self-advocate. She is a graduate of the University of Miami School of Law and was just admitted to the Florida Bar this past month. Haley is also a renowned visual pop artist and the author of Middle School, The Stuff Nobody Tells You About, and a freshman survival guide for college students with autism spectrum disorders. Welcome to the show, Haley. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get to talk with you guys. We're excited to have you. 
Yes. So, Haley, as we like to start, can you share with everyone how you became involved in the autism community? Absolutely. I actually got involved when I was 13. And wow, that feels like a long time ago. That's been over a decade now. I was invited to speak at the Autism Society of America conference on a panel. And on that panel, I was the only girl and I was the youngest one. I was fresh out of the eighth grade. And I remember somebody in the audience asked me to talk about how I found out that I was on the spectrum. And I actually told them the story about how when I was nine years old, my mom sat me down one day over the summer and I was obsessed with Harry Potter. So we talked about how being autistic is a lot like Harry Potter not being like the muggles and being different, but it's not a bad thing. So she explained it to me and this is how I grew up and this is still what I subscribe to is different isn't bad. It's just different and different can be extraordinary. So that was my introduction to autism. And once I spoke at that conference, I ended up writing my first book, Middle School, The Stuff Nobody Tells You About, when I was in high school, and I just stuck with it. I love getting to speak about autism. I love being able to make a difference, and I do believe that autism does take a village, and my village has been very supportive and large, so I'm very glad to be able to give back and hopefully be a part of other people's villages, too. That's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to get admitted to the bar, and what got you interested in law in the first place? Getting admitted to the bar was one of the greatest days of my career, probably. Actually, not probably, definitely. So the way that my admission to the bar worked, like once you pass the bar exam, you're able to get admitted and all that fun stuff. So my swearing-in ceremony was at a courthouse. We had a judge administer the oath. The judge that did my oath was Judge Walsh down here in Miami. And she was very she was very much a pioneer in gender diversity and things like that. And the managing partner of my law firm explained that at my ceremony. It was incredibly touching and there was not a dry eye in the room during it. Because with the legal profession, it's a lot of speaking and it's a lot of advocating as even what we do as self-advocates. But for someone who is not supposed to be speaking, it was a really big deal to be able to do that. And that's the moment that you officially become an attorney. So it was really, really special. I actually got my bar number this past week, so I'm now able to sign it and all that stuff on court documents and pleadings and things like that. So I'm a real attorney, which freaks me out. And I, it's also really, really awesome. And I'm really blessed to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. So I actually got interested in law because I knew that I want I knew that I wanted to be able to do more for our community. And what more do I like than writing and talking? I love to write about things and I love to talk to people. So I felt I can really make a difference, even if it's through policy, if it's through one area of law, I know that I can make a difference. And at the very least, legal education has taught me a lot about speaking and connecting with people more so than my undergraduate psychology background did. So I really do feel like I learned a lot. And I do think that as a lawyer, I can really make a difference. Congratulations. That's super exciting. Um, And I can empathize with you a little bit. I remember when I got my psychology license, I was like, what? I'm allowed to do this by myself now? Um, <laughs> so so I can empathize with your experience a little bit there, Haley. Um, when you were in law school, what was that experience like for you? Did you feel that you were able to receive the support that you needed? I didn't get a lot of support in the traditional disability sense while I was in law school. So for me, the biggest thing when I was first going to go to University of Miami was finding housing near campus because 
I don't drive. Driving makes me incredibly anxious. And I do have a driver's license because that's a question that I get a lot. I do know how to drive. I do not enjoy driving. So I wanted somewhere that's near campus and that was safe to live in. So obviously that was part of what I really needed. And I was thankfully able to find something very close to campus. And that made transitioning a lot easier for me when I did go to law school. I think the other things with law school that were difficult as well were socially because law school is competitive. And a lot of people take things very seriously, whether it's getting a job, an internship, the grades, because everything is graded on a curve. So everybody kind of wants those top spots at the top of the curve. So there's only a certain amount of people, at least in the first year, that'll get A's, B's, C's, whatever. So I thought that was competitive. But I did find... But like anywhere else in school or in life, I did find my people and I was very involved in public service and leadership opportunities in law school. So I did find people that had like-minded goals and wanted to make a difference. So that made it a lot more enjoyable too. That's awesome. I love that you said you found your people. That's my favorite part. Okay. (laughs) Um, People are always somewhere. It's just where, but. Right. And so how long does it take you to find them? Exactly. In law. In law school, it was in law review because I was on the social justice law review. So I got to meet all sorts of people who wanted to make a difference for others, whether it was through immigration or criminal justice or me doing disability stuff. So there was always someone that wanted to make a difference. I served on the public interest leadership board in law school. I had a public interest scholarship to go to law school. So I met all the very service oriented people rather than the people that were in law school just to go go do corporate work and just to be there for themselves. I met the selfless people and those were my people. Awesome. And that leads us actually to our next question, which is what do you eventually want to do with your law career? You know, is there a particular kind of law you want to practice or something you want to do with it? I'm currently actually practicing in healthcare litigation. So I get to learn all sorts of interesting things. I really am enjoying the learning experience and I really love being part of a team. So since this is my first big girl job, as I like to say, you know, I'm actually working and I'm not an intern. So it's a big girl job. I'm really excited just to learn and be a part of things and learn the transition as well. And as far as what I want to do, I just know that as long as I can make a difference, I'm happy. Um, Can you tell us about what has made you, you know, what your inspiration has really been to advocate and to write books? My inspiration was that when I was in middle school, I went to three schools in three years. So you can just imagine how hard it is changing schools literally through the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I had no consistent friends. I was not invited to all the social events and all the different birthday parties and all the different stuff. So not only did I get to relive my collective awkward phase like everybody else did, but I got to live it in three different places. So I already was basically an authority on middle school. And having done that so many times and after that experience at the Autism Society of America conference, I realized, you know what? If one thing I went through or learned or failed in or succeeded in can help somebody else and I can write it out and they can maybe get something from it, all of this was worth it and I can say that I've done that many many times and I'm constantly reminded that what I do is worthwhile and that I can really make a difference every day awesome well I have to thank you so much for your interview it's a fantastic interview but before we kind of close that up and go into our conversation um can you let everybody know where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you or learn more about you you can find more about me at haleymossart.com you can follow me on social media. All of my stuff is HaleyMossArt.com. So I'm always around. I'm always on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, you name it. You could probably find me and you can always send me an email. I'm pretty accessible. I love 
being able to talk to as many people as possible and get to connect with all of you. Great. Thank you, Haley. So I think now we're actually going to um, continue talking about kind of tools for transitions. Um, and, you know, really just kind of revisiting this topic of how we manage transitions. I know we've talked about it in previous um, episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Becca and I opened this this episode by talking about our own transitions and kind of some strategies mm-hmm. that we're using right now. Um, but Haley, do you think you could, you know, maybe throw out some of the strategies and tools that you've utilized to manage some of the transitions you've experienced? I mean, it's definitely been quite the transition going from being full-time student to being full-time employed. So that's always very, very interesting. And it's still something that I'm learning a little bit of the rhythm too. So for me, I am very visual and I write down everything that I need to do or have to do during the day or when I get home so then I can stay on task. I think that's probably the biggest thing in the transition, staying on task, not to be afraid to ask for help in my transition too. So I also try to keep a consistent schedule, which makes things easier because I, like many others on the spectrum, love routine. I am pretty sure that having a routine is one of the primary reasons that I passed the bar exam because many of my peers were struggling to get a routine down because the whole like first three weeks of bar prep, it's a crazy three months that you're studying for this test. So that's been definitely an adjustment for me as well as being part of a team because in school, I feel like a lot of it very self-driven while being at work is very team driven. I think what one of the misconceptions, the biggest misconceptions about transitions, at least that I run into, um, is the idea that you don't have them in adulthood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just that oh, concept. Oh, you, d- you definitely do. <laughs> How can you say that you don't go through huge, you know, you have these huge transitions for the first 18 years of your life and then the rest of your life, they just go away, right? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> what happens to them? I don't know. You live till you're 80. Never happens again. I mean, what kind of thing is that? I mean, and what it does is it really impedes, especially for people on the spectrum, it impedes our ability to plan ahead and like, no, no, there's more coming. Um, and to know that, you know, all of the transitions that we're walking through are sort of building our resilience to get to the next one um, and that there will be more. Um, the idea that you know, we kind of, I don't know, you get to college and and that's it. You just magically run out of transitions. <laughs> like just, you know, they disappear. It's funny. I, I like thinking about it. I sort of think about like a lot of the those earlier transitions. It's that they're very concrete and clear because they tend to be driven by chronological age, right? Um, so when you're this age or when you're this grade, this happens. And and so there's kind of like a predictable format or outline to them in terms of anticipatory management of those transitions. And then I think what happens after that is like the uniformity of when these things occur uh, is completely variable, right? And especially for individuals um, on the spectrum who really, you know, find their own pace of how they go through and navigate life. And some people are on a, what you might call traditional timeline and some people are not and everyone's, you know, timeline is different and that's okay. Um, But I think that, you know, what happens is, you know, we, we also sort of say, oh, the transitions are, you know, getting, that first big job or getting, you know, married or moving in with a partner. 
um, or having a baby. And yes, those are all big transitions. But then like within that, there's so many micro transitions of like, so many. yeah, Where, what do you, I mean, let me just say this. If you have ever been hired at a new job or fired from a job, those are transitions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, that's it. And I, it's so simple to talk about them, but we we call them, it's so funny. I feel like in the autism community, we capitalize our words, right? They're like capital T transitions, right? <laughs> like that's so how they true. are. And, and that's how it feels. And it's like, well, hold on. First of all, yes, they are big, but they keep going and they come in different shapes and sizes for everybody. I mean, I'll never go through the transition of having a child because that was a choice that I made. But right. that doesn't mean that I won't have others. <laughs> I right. could get divorced 80 million times, right? I mean, it's like, what, how can we use what, I guess what I would love to do is how can we use what all folks like Haley, myself, and you, Kate, all of us part of the autism community that become experts in transitions, yeah. right? <laughs> how do mm-hmm. we take our knowledge about those capital T transitions and translate into that, into the lowercase T and, and kind of share that with the world um, to, that they're going through it too. It's not just us, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what it is? I think that there's, you know, like this understanding that, oh, you know, these big things matter. But I think part of what happens is we, as like a, as a neurotypically focused culture, sort of just expect that, well, you know, these these are small transitions. You should be able to handle it. Anyone should be able to handle it. And I think that's part of what gets kind of like misunderstood is that one, anyone with any kind of neurodivergence, um, you know, is more likely to have difficulty with even what we consider the small transitions. And that's where developing appropriate coping strategies and self-advocacy skills and having great interdependent relationships really comes into play for navigating those transitions effectively. Absolutely. You know what it makes me think about? It's like, I want to almost tell my story of law school because it's so opposite of Haley's experience (laughs) of going through that transition. And it meant other transitions for me. Um, and they happen very quickly. And it's something that people don't talk about. So like I got into law school and I thought, too, it was the right choice for me. It made so much sense. It was logical. It was word based. It was, you know, total sense. Right. But when mm-hmm. I sat in, in like the first week and they really did the question of like, look to your left, look to your right. One of you won't be here. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually thought in my head, oh, please let it be me. Like, I, just want, I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. Right. And that meant transition, transition, trans- like really fast definitely went through a burnout period because I didn't have the supports because I didn't have skill sets. Nobody gave Mm -hmm. me skill sets during those big T transitions to use Mm -hmm. in my little C transitions. (laughs) So I really struggled most when I came to the little C's because nobody was there to help. Mm -hmm. Nobody was there saying, Hey, well, everybody goes through this or, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we can do about it. I was sort of floating in that emergency by myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I don't know what what do we what, what could we collectively say as a, a piece of advice about transitions besides that they suck in their heart. <laughs> I think even just opening up and having these conversations like this dialogue that we're having now about it, it makes it easier for anyone else to open up about it. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that the autistic community does really well is we are very open and forthcoming and starting conversations that even neurotypicals who do go through these challenges and think that they're hard too, is they're not as open and authentic about, yeah, we're struggling with these little cat, little lowercase t transitions. Well, yeah. for us, the lowercase t transitions are 
bigger deals. So we're willing to talk about it more. I think that's also what our community does very well is it shows its strength and we do talk about them. So even yeah. us having the dialogue and I'm sure even talking about it with you, I'm sure somebody will tell me, oh my God, I went through that too. That was really hard. And then we can all start talking about it and people feel less afraid to share their stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that we can follow that. I think we should leave that right where it is. Thank you very much, Haley. <laughs> and we'll go ahead and wrap that up for today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Haley. I really appreciate it. Um, if you guys are looking for her, again, HaleyMossArt.com. You can find her all over the social media platforms um, and get in touch with her if you have questions or you want to see her art, which I'm going to do as soon as I get off of this. Um, and you guys don't forget that you can follow different brains and you can check them out at differentbrains.org or you can check out their twitter or instagram at diffbrains as well as look for them on facebook if you're looking for me you can find me at www.beckawari.com you can look for me on facebook linkedin or twitter if you're looking for walter you can find him on instagram at sir walter underfoot and if you're looking for me, I can be found via email at drcody at spectrumpsychservices.com or my website, which is www.spectrumpsychservices.com. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and don't hesitate to send questions to spectrumlyspeaking at gmail.com. And let's keep the conversation going. Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.